Hey there, Kelly here. Guests on the show share so many great ideas, but how do you start putting them into practice? Well, that's exactly what you'll explore when you sign up for the podcast weekly newsletter. Each week, you'll get three ideas from past guests sent straight to your inbox. You'll explore materials, techniques, tools, concepts, and mindsets in bite-sized pieces so that you can think about them and fold them into your own practice. It's completely free and you get it by signing up at learntopaintpodcast.com slash newsletter. I'm not a planner at all. And I feel like every single piece I ever do, I have an overall idea of where it might go based on the photo I'm starting with, but I kind of like the surprise. Hello and welcome to the Learn to Paint podcast, the show that gives you artistic tools you can put to work. I'm your host, Kelly Ann Powers. Today, I'm talking with artist Erin Gregory. In the conversation, you'll learn how to build a process with a lot of room for the unknown, what you'll need from your references if that's the case, and how to paint with loads of color. In the extended cut bonus available in the podcast art club, you'll learn the importance of keeping protected space in your practice and why it's so important to spend time looking at your work. You can find links to the podcast art club and the show notes at learntopaintpodcast.com slash podcast slash episode 90. I start the interview by asking Gregory how she got started in art. All right, here we go. I really feel like I never thought there was an option to not be interested in art. In fact, I really think I went my whole childhood assuming everyone felt that way, that everyone loved art. And like, I used to flip through my mom's art history books from when she was in college. And that seemed normal that a child would want to do that. But apparently that's not the case. So I always loved art, always loved being in art class, kind of appreciated that other kids thought I was good at it. So, you know, I'd draw for them and kind of decorate their desks and their notebooks for them. But then when I got to high school, I remember a friend saying, what are you going to major in? And I was like, I mean, there's not even a question. I guess I have to major in art, right? So I didn't have much of a plan going forward other than, yeah, I'll major in art and then I'll kind of figure it out when I get done. I assumed I would teach and I assumed I might go back and get my master's. But as soon as I got out of college, my parents were great. They fully supported me majoring in art. They were wonderful because they knew that that was my passion. But they also had three other children to support. And so they were like, well, good luck. Now that you we paid for college, you need to figure this next step out. So my mom said, take your art down to the gallery in this little town we lived in, Fairhope, Alabama. And I was like, what? No. I took my senior show down there and they were amazing. They were the nicest people. And they took it in, sold the pieces, and then offered to do a solo show for me. So that was 2001. And honestly, I didn't have to pursue any other avenues because that just sort of became my career. I just kind of kept doing shows pretty regularly. I did a lot of outdoor shows and had to do a lot of different, you know, I sold on Etsy and found a lot of ways to sell small pieces and sell in shops. And then Eventually, I sort of graduated to a handful of really good galleries that just have really helped me foster my career. Did you find acrylics then in art school or did you find acrylics later? I went to a public high school, no art supplies besides pencils. So I did a lot of drawing and I'm glad I did because I really honed my skills in that department. And then going forward to college, they you had to do all, of course, the fundamental classes. And so a lot of drawing, a lot of value studies. 
And then kind of toward the end of college, I got into painting and I, I think I started immediately with oil paints for some reason. Never tried acrylic in college, really. And so I painted in oils until right after my daughters were born. So I think I didn't switch to acrylic until 2010, 2011. The first decade of my painting was all oil. And then I chose acrylic just because I was painting at home. I didn't like the fumes of the oils around my babies and toddlers. And honestly, I realized then just... I resisted acrylic because I thought the color wasn't as rich and you don't have the same abilities, of course, with you have oil. Then I kind of figured out some tricks with acrylic and also realized it's amazing. It's dry. I mean, you're done. You can finish a painting that morning and like wrap it up and ship it the next day. So I like the ease of acrylic and you can paint large with acrylic, much cheaper. In acrylics, what type of acrylics do you use? Well, I am not a a paint brand snob. I have used, I mean, I like quality paints. I like golden. I'm fine with just like whatever I can find at Michael's, like Liquitex is fine. But I mean, I will use house paint to get something started because acrylics are interchangeable to a certain extent. You can't get the same intensity of color with house paints, but you can get the color you're looking for. You have it mixed up. So I've, I've used the whole range of acrylics. But it's funny, I don't really start with 10 million colors out on my palette. I usually kind of start with just some stuff I like, you know, I'll get six or seven colors out and start blocking in with those. But by the end of a painting, especially a really large piece, my table in front of the painting has about 400 different colors and like 400 brushes and wadded up paper towels everywhere. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, (laughs) this happened. But it's just because I'm trying to work fast and like keep trying new things. Oh, yeah, I could add this. And so I'll just keep squirting different colors, opening things up. And it takes me, you know, an hour to put all those paints back up when I'm done. So I just sort of let it call to me as I'm working on it. Oh, oh, yeah, if I had this, this would help that. And so it starts small, but it grows quickly. What are the different thicknesses in the paints you use? So I have a section of heavy body paints. I have a section of the golden bottle paints that are, I guess, like medium body. And then I also have the liquid water-soluble inks, the house paints, and then just like the inexpensive liquid techs, like the big tubes. So I have all the different layers and I feel like all of them together really can make it you can do a lot of cool things because you can have that opacity, you can have that transparency, you can have those glazes, you can have that drippiness, you can have that chunkiness. And I do like that. I like variety. I like having some areas where it's chunky and built up and then somewhere it's just like this little whimsical washy section. Do you use any like mediums as part of your work? I know you do glazing and we'll talk about that, but do you use any mediums as part of your work? I do. You know, overall, I use a lot of water. But as far as mediums go, I use glazing medium for kind of like my second coat. I tend to mix a color into like a, if I'm going to start another layer of a painting, I'll mix some color into glazing medium. Also, I'll use satin medium almost in the same way. I'll kind of use it toward the end of the painting because I don't like matte finish. I like a little bit of sheen, but then I don't want it overly glossy. And then I seal all of them with a satin varnish. How do you use glazing? I feel like so many things like this, I've just basically toyed around with it. And it's taken years to kind of decide what even, you know, I sort of self-taught myself glazing. Sometimes I feel like a painting feels really flat or I'm just kind of stuck. And I feel like it's just a little too one-dimensional. And so 
what I'll do is just take a scraper, like a rubber scraper. I can't even think of the name of it. And just mix up some glazing medium, put in really a drop or two of color just to give a transparent layer. And sometimes I don't like how it turns out. You can always scrape it back off because it really, it's easily removable, but it's kind of fun to see what happens if you tint the whole painting or change it with a a color or two colors. I guess, are there any other tools that you sort of use as part of your paintings? There's also another medium I use. You can add it to your water. So I think it's like FlowAid. And I like that you can use that and get a washy glaze without it dripping. So it's kind of a hybrid between like glazing medium and just plain water. And then what surfaces do you work on? Mainly, I just work on canvas. I got into working on panels a good bit, but I ran into a problem. I don't know if it's the humidity in Georgia, but a lot of them were warping or they would come in from Utrecht or Blick already warped. And so I just, I worry about longevity of the painting and I love working on panels. It's really a neat look, but it's just, it scares me to think about something warping in someone's home. So I kind of stick to good quality canvas. Because you do so much scraping, like I know you use brushes too, but because you use like scraping tools, how important is having a surface that doesn't like sort of fold in on itself like some of the cheaper canvases do? Right. Well, I try to use those rubbery scrapers so that they're it's gentle on the canvas, but it still picks up a lot of pigment or removes a lot of pigment. Could you walk me through your process? I very, very, very rarely work on a blank canvas. I can't remember the last time I worked on just a white canvas. So what I typically do is just kind of create really loose abstracts, basically. A lot of pattern, a lot of color. Just kind of pour things on my canvases, rub it around, just create surprising elements. And they're usually nothing I would want. I mean, I know they're not a permanent feature of the art. Then I like when... There's some fun elements like some scraping or some drips that just lend a little bit of excitement to the eventual painting. So, okay, I do that underpainting as an abstract. And then what I do is come in with sort of a, a plan in mind. Like a, I'll take a reference photo, either an arrangement that I created and photographed or just something I found online And I'll doctor it up. I'll take it into Photoshop and work on the composition and kind of work on how I'm going to weight it. Like, am I going to put everything to one side? Where am I going to center the volume of the arrangement? Because you can sketch it, but sometimes it just helps to quickly get on Photoshop and play with all of those things really quickly and get an overall view of what could happen. But I don't ever really hold on to the initial image I'm working from. It's really just a jumping off point. And it's not so much about the color or not even completely about the composition because you can add features to the composition, but it's really about light because my light source is very key. And I think that's the one thing that's pretty consistent in all my work is I really, really want a strong light source or in a consistent light source where you can tell even if the flowers are really abstracted, I want it to feel like the the sunlight or the, the light is coming from one direction. Once I get the painting started over the initial abstract underpainting, I'll kind of block in with like, I use these waxy water soluble crayons. They're just really fun and easy and loose to use. And just, I paint really large for the most part. Most pieces are 36 by 48, 48 by 48, 60 by 60. So I just like to kind of throw in the big overall elements with 
the crayon. I can wash things out, wipe them out with paper towel. And then I block in from there with paint. Just get a few colors that may or may not remain in the painting, but just kind of put in some darks, put in some lights, put in some major themes of the painting. Maybe put in where what's going to happen with the background. Is there going to be a table? Is there going to be anything else in the background? And then from that point forward, it's really just sort of a push and pull. I'll add elements, I'll glaze, I'll kind of use negative space to cut around something. I'll pop some color in, I'll diffuse some colors that are are not what I'm feeling good about. And then I try to leave the parts of the abstract painting that work best for me. I try to just sort of leave those as is and then extract whatever wasn't necessary. So starting with the references and the Photoshop, you work from your photos too, but when you're looking for other people's photos, what do you want in a photo? Like what makes a good photo for you? It almost always has to do with the lighting. Sometimes somebody will send me a beautiful flower arrangement, stunning flower arrangement from a wedding or a place they've been. If there isn't a good light source, it breaks my heart to tell them, I really, I don't know. I mean, it won't make a strong painting if it's just in in like one muted light for me, for what I'm trying to achieve. So basically, it, it doesn't even have to be that powerful of an arrangement or that colorful even. But if the lighting is interesting, that's pretty much the driving force behind what I'm choosing. Why is strong or good light important? Like, why not just make that up? That is such a good question. I mean, it just really goes back to ever since I started painting. I don't know if I liked the ability to break down a painting into just darks and lights, especially when I first got into painting, because it makes it just, you know, you do, you add all your dark elements and your light elements, and then you kind of come in with your middle values. And so I don't know if it was just because it was so easy from the start to work that way. I have over the years tried to be more subtle with my dark colors. I used to use black and now I'm, I try to never get that dark. And then I also used to use a lot of harsh white. Now I try to bring in pastel colors into my white. So it's, it's a little softer. But something about, I don't know, like the, it's like a, a puzzle and having the dark versus the light makes it easier to put the puzzle together. Is it almost like it gives you shapes to then play with? Yes. What sort of things do you adjust in Photoshop? I'm not that skilled at Photoshop, honestly, <laughs> which I always feel like, gosh, what a waste because I'm paying for it. But truly, I just go in and crop an image to where it feels right, maybe flip it, you know, see how that makes the composition change. I don't really manipulate the colors much because I haven't had much luck with that. And honestly, I don't really know what I'm going to do with color until kind of into the painting. So it's not a color thing, but yeah, it's often about the light. And like, sometimes I will enhance the exposure, like lighten the exposure or do brightness to just sort of bring out so I can see more of what's happening in the darker areas of a photo. So that's really all I use Photoshop for. Do you have focal areas in your work? And then if yes, is that something you decide in the Photoshop step? No, I'm not a planner at all. And I feel like... Every single piece I ever do, I have an overall idea of where it might go based on the photo I'm starting with, but I kind of like the surprise. And it really isn't so much about choosing a focal area, but it's kind of all about balance, like trying to make sure it's 
weighted well and it's not overly symmetrical. So it's just kind of toying around with those elements. Oh, this this feels like it needs more weight over here. Well, I'll put a limb or I'll move the space over a little bit so it doesn't feel so symmetrical. Do you sort of know you're ready to move to the next step with that reference? Like once it feels balanced in your editing? Yeah. And I mean, that when I say a Photoshop, I really don't do enough where it's, it's just taking that image and thinking, are there any other possibilities? You know, should I zoom in a little bit more? So that's really just about establishing that overall composition. But I'm not very committed to it once I sketch it out. It does, it's not going to be a carbon copy compositionally of the photo. It's just kind of a basic jumping off point. We're going to step away from the photo for a minute and talk about abstraction. Do you have a particular reference in mind when you're working on the abstractions or are these purely their own thing? The underpainting abstractions are just purely fun and their own thing. That's kind of like the best part about getting a painting started is there's no pressure that it doesn't have to be, the color doesn't have to be right. It can be really horrible colors, honestly. In fact, I've let my children and my niece play around with color before and just see what happens. Like see what, even like if a child puts purple and pink all over the canvas, come back later and see how I can work with that. And you know, what will come from that surprise. So sometimes I will use colors that I would never choose to end the piece with. Just kind of see what it will lend to the upcoming painting. Do you do any sort of color decisions here in the sense of like, I'm going to do a bunch of analogous underpaintings, or I'm going to do a bunch of neutral underpaintings. Are there any sort of decisions like that at this stage? Well, what I think I try to do is neutralize going forward. It's easier for me to mute things and to balance things, but I kind of like to start out with something pretty intense. So that's where the weird color comes from, the strange color kind of shining from behind the flowers. So I use a lot of gray when I paint, a lot of gray, a lot of white, a lot of the paints gray. Yeah, the one that's kind of a navy. So the color's already there. You don't have to worry about adding in bold color. You can kind of soften it. Are these abstractions, are you using a lot of glazing? They're kind of just sheer layers of color. I found the most wonderful tool at, I think I get them at Home Depot, but it's like a scraper used for sheetrocking. And it has like a little thin foam pad on it. It just does really cool stuff. It'll leave just like a thin layer. You can bear down on them and take a little color off. They have a really neat quality of giving you sort of transparent layers. That's what I'm doing most with my abstracts is just sort of building up some color and sheer layers. Are you using pure color like straight out of the bottle or tube for these? Yeah, I usually take like a nice acrylic, put some drops or squirt blob or two out of two or maybe three colors and then use the scraper that I was telling you about, sort of glide that all together, try to create just some neat little shapes and put, you know, stand them up, let some drips happen, kind of let it dictate itself instead of me controlling that. Like I want as little control in that part of the process. So does that mean that the underpaintings are generally three colors? So they might be different, very different colors, but it's sort of three colors will make the base of the abstraction? Honestly, some of them have probably 20 colors. Honestly, it depends on what mood I'm in. If I'm listening to music, I might go really crazy with them and add in a lot of drops and spray a lot of stuff on them and do anything I can think of to do to it. But then some days it's just a quick wash or two of color. 
So it really is about the mood and maybe even like the weather. If I can take them outside and spend a lot of hours, I might do a lot more to them. But right now when it's 100 and whatever degrees outside, I'm kind of limited to staying inside and just kind of doing a quick little color wash. How like light, dark or mid, like how far in either direction can these colors go? Do you try to stay away from the super dark darks at this point? Yeah, good question. Absolutely. I try not to get too dark with them because it's sort of hard to fight that dark. You know, you might spend too much time trying to diffuse that darkness. So I usually try to keep mid value to even kind of lighter colors, a lot of bright color. I guess, how do you know when an abstraction is ready to begin the next step of your process? If I feel like it's sort of interesting enough to stand alone, I mean, not completed where I'd want to hang it over my mantle or anything, but just it, it sort of stands alone. It has a good quality to it. It has enough going on. That's when I feel like, okay, now what can I make out of this? So that's kind of the other fun part is I'll have some ideas for what I want to paint and I'll go around. I usually do seven or eight underpaintings at once. And so I'll have a bunch of choices, a bunch of canvases with colors and I'll find something I want to paint and I'll kind of go around the studio and I'll sort of see things in the abstracts, like kind of see elements that are like, oh yeah, I could pull that and make that into the that section of flowers. And it sort of determines for me what I could do with the painting. So that's another thing. It sort of like pushes me instead of me having to push it. So then when you've paired two and you begin the blocking in stage, when you're working with the, the water soluble crayon, how much detail are you bringing in in that drawing versus how much detail do you know you'll do later with paint? Not a whole, whole lot of detail. Basically, I'm just blocking in with the crayons where the base will be, if there is a base, where the main flowers, if there are flowers, where they're going to fall in the composition. So circles, squiggles, not anything really detailed. Just kind of lay out that right off the bat. I figured it out one time, but honestly, I want to get as much done as I possibly can with the painting in the beginning. I want it to almost feel like if I slap this all on, it's already a painting. And now I'm just going to make it better and better and better. So I slap on, you know, all the main elements, put everything where it's going to be. And then I keep building from that point on. The next thing I do is I sort of try to sketch in some interesting little intricate details like, you know, oh, I'll have this vine with all of these little leaves and kind of put some of those little funkier elements in with the crayon. Then I drop the crayon, get out a few colors. They don't even have to be anything that's permanent, but just sort of start blocking in like the main elements, do some negative space and do some darks and lights, but not in any particular order. That all kind of happens at once. Just basically what I want to get to first, what excites me the most about the reference photo or the idea I've got. I try to get to the fun parts first, slap all that in, and then going forward, just kind of tweaking that and playing up the strengths and sort of removing things that are not useful. When you're, I guess in some ways, I realize that we sort of have like the drawing phase and then do you think the blocking in is sort of like a separate? I can kind of keep drawing back in if I feel like it needs a little more. Like I said, I'm not a planner. And I also, even after 23, 24 years of painting, I still just never exactly know what I'm going to get. And I kind of like it that way. I like the surprise element. I like, I even like the disappointments. Like I like when something's not working and I like taking 
our color and glazing over it and starting over and just rethinking a chunk of the painting or the whole painting. I've often had a plan that I'm going to do this really two-tone, two-color painting and keep it really simple and then decide that it's just boring and come over it with a color completely unrelated, glaze the whole thing with bright yellow, and then then remove some of that color and see what I can do there. So I just really like surprises. When you're working in that blocking in phase, how big of areas are you working on? Like, are you, do you try to keep from getting into like the details until later? That's right. I really don't worry about details until really toward the end. So yeah, everything's just kind of, a. am still sort of building up with the shapes focusing in on some main flowers, making sure the light feels right in those, like highlighting where the light source is coming from. I'm definitely keeping my focus on the lighting in that blocking in phase, putting the lighter colors where they're going to be, putting the darker colors where they need to be. When you're building in darks, are you doing that with glazes or are you doing that with opaque paints? Both. I'm not really committed to either one, but probably in the earlier phases, maybe I am a little more opaque. I'm just kind of blocking in with one intense color just to get those shapes set up. But then I think I do want to get a little more transparent with my colors moving forward. And maybe I'm going over some of those opaque lights and darks with washes, with glazes. Right. Because it's almost like you need to have opaque colors down for the glazes to interact with. Mm-hmm, that's right. I kind of feel like you're an art therapist. I feel like you're helping me see my process. This is great. I love talking process. So I love it. Well, then where in this stage do you need to pay attention to accuracy? As in a flower drawn accurately, like a shape might indicate a lot of information, but drawn inaccurately may not. So how important is accuracy and where is it important at this stage? Sometimes at the very end of a painting is when I want to fine tune it. I want to add some really sharp, strong little accents, little details, little pops of color. So that's when I come in usually with like a nice little smaller brush or, you know, a a liner brush to put in some little sticks, some little stems, some little dots, like some details of the flowers to really sharpen areas that are otherwise really loose and washy. And, but that tends to be like the icing on the cake is coming in and fine tuning elements. For you, because you build it up in such a abstracted way, how do you stay organized when there's so much going on and there's still so many possibilities within that? Like, how do you stay organized visually and like what your plans are for areas? I've, thought about that a lot. I think what I really try to do is not even allow myself the chance to pick it apart. I just really like to stay deep in the painting. Try not to step away. Try not to analyze it. Just kind of because if I stop to even take a picture, I'm like, oh, wait a minute. What is this? But if you keep muddling through it and just kind of keep trusting your instincts, I think that's when you have the most success is just keep, keep going, keep going, keep going. Don't look up. Yeah. And then, you know, I never finish a piece in one whack. I wish I could. I can never do that. But I like to get a painting, you know, after I've done the the underpainting, that's usually when the next day when I work on a piece, I get it to a point where it feels good. Like it feels like an interesting piece, but I never want to completely commit to what I've done at that point. So I usually walk away 
put that painting to the side, start on something else. Because I feel like you have a different relationship with the painting every time you come to it. So like the next day, I might come back and see so many things I did yesterday that I didn't like that today I love, like I'm really excited about and I want to kind of enhance and play up. Or vice versa, I might think, God, I was really excited about this color palette. And today it's just, no, it's not working. And I can see it with fresh eyes. So it may take three, four or five different days or returning to a piece until I really get a handle on it. Listening to you explain that, it almost sounds like you walk in, look at it, analyze it, decide a direction, and then just head in that direction and see where it takes you. Yep. And I mean, I guess so much of it is just intuition and like what I'm feeling, maybe what I've seen recently. Sometimes I just can even see things that, oh, I saw a beautiful painting the other day. I loved like that vivid color. I liked the spareness of a piece. And I think that will come through subconsciously. I'm not trying to do certain things, but I I can see things pop into my work sometimes. I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. I know where that came from. How much are you looking at your references during this? Like when you go in to lay a color down, a dark or a light, are you looking at your reference when you do that? Yeah. So that's where the reference photo really is pretty key for me. I mean, I guess I could do a painting without a reference photo. That would be an interesting project to try to see what would happen. But I need some reality to go on. I I need something to inspire why I'm putting things where. And then, like I said, most importantly, I need that direction with the light to kind of run, remind me, okay, the light's coming from the right. It's it's kind of coming in an angle or it's come, it's backlit. I need to you know think about the shadow and on the base and this and this and this, just to make it feel consistent and just to ground it, I guess. Is there a point where the glazing stops and you like move to non-glazing colors? I hate to say that I really, there isn't really a set of rules like some paintings might have more glazing than I care to admit I mean you know I've gone over it 50 times and then sometimes like a piece really does sort of come together nicely and I barely glazed it but I just like the piece and I'm comfortable just leaving it the way it is and it's two or three layer piece and it's good so there's not really a set strategy it's kind of like ooh, what's is this working okay this is working I'm gonna leave it alone or this isn't working. I'm going to neutralize all of this and and kind of rethink this portion. How do you keep from falling in love with a layer and then being really precious about it? Or do you allow yourself to fall in love with a layer and be really precious about it? In general, I'm not very precious at all with my work. I really don't take anything I do too seriously because it's just pain. And you can always try it again. You can always somehow get back to, you can attempt it again, but I like to take chances. And sometimes it just devastates my husband. He's like, you painted over that really incredible, huge painting. Why did you do that? I'm like, I didn't like it. And he's like, no, it was done. I mean, you could have sold it. It was great. I'm like, no, 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 no. It just something about it felt a little too tight too I don't know, not, it just didn't feel fresh. And I'll just sort of do this intense glaze over the whole thing and, and just start over or even just do a completely different I often do that. I guess I haven't mentioned that yet. I will take a painting that's almost done and paint a completely different composition over it and just leave a few of those little elements underneath. And those are often some of my best paintings. When I completely jump ship, drop that whole thing and just leave a little bit of it lingering underneath. I'm just so struck by hearing you talk about painting that like with glazing, especially there's such a built in level of unpredictability in how you work 
did you have to learn to trust that and then like be patient with that? Yeah. I mean, I've been painting these large florals since like 2015, maybe 2014. I was doing a lot of kind of a variety of other things up until then, Um, a lot of commission work and really got into these florals. And it was such a freeing point because I just finally felt like I'd found just a fun, fun way to paint. So really relaxing way to paint. I'm not worried about doing portraits anymore. I'm not worried about details anymore. It's just about color, light. I love nature. So bringing in these natural elements, these natural forms and shapes. But I look at paintings from then and I still appreciate them. But they were, they were pretty opaque. They were just sort of one level of a flower. You know, here's the flower, here's the leaves, here's the color, here's the vase, done. That was really satisfying then. But I think because I've been doing them so long as a means not to, not to stay stagnant, I felt like I needed to find ways to add depth and add a little more visual interest. So I think I learned a lot of little tricks and tools over the past decade on how to take them to the next level. Don't just, it's not just a flower painting with a fun little vase. It's more than that. So I think I was just kind of looking for a way to keep it interesting. You have some line work in your work. Is that something that you're developing throughout all the layers? Or is that something that's sort of the ending layers? I think it's a little bit of both. I do think I put in the detail lines primarily at the end, but I'm doing a lot of sketching, certainly in the beginning, throughout. You know, sometimes I feel like I need to add some more elements midway through the painting and I'll draw some things in, whether that be with my wax crayons or with a skinny paintbrush. They're kind of woven throughout the work. Where in your process, because so much of your process is like coming into the studio the next day, and making a choice and heading a direction, but it might totally change the next day. So at what point in your process do you decide this is the direction I'm going to go with this painting? There again, it's so interesting. I really, I don't expect to have a lot of control with any of it. I can sort of plan where I'm going to go overall. Maybe I'm going to try, and I'm not always painting flowers. I mean, sometimes I might be doing landscapes or figures or whatever. But I might have some goals, like I want to do these colors or maybe loosen up a little bit and kind of go more in this direction. But honestly, my work makes the decisions for me. I feel like it sort of drives itself. And I don't know a better way to explain that. But I really don't set forth with like a strategy, like here's what my show is going to look like this year. Because people will say, what are you going to paint? I'm like, well, overall, I know I'm going to do half the show will be florals and then it'll be this and this. But I like to just kind of see what pops up. And I do think it has a lot to do with what's going on seasonally. You know, it's winter. So maybe the colors are darker, richer, or it's hot outside. I'm painting bright and airy and light. I listen to a lot of books. I listen to a lot of podcasts. I listen to a lot of music. So sometimes I think things in my brain while I'm working can have a little bit of an effect on how things are going. But the quick answer is I'm not a planner and a lot of it just dictates itself. So I don't even necessarily have series plan. Say I'm having a show with between 30 and 40 pieces. I start looking around at all these paintings that are 85, 90% of the way finished and I sort of cluster them in groups. Like these are the paintings that are, are loose. These are the paintings that are just more abstract. These are just shapes and colors. Okay. This is a little family over here. And then these over here are more a little tighter, a little more detailed. 
they're a little family. I'm going to kind of work with those as a team. And so that's where my series titles come from, is I just kind of nestle a group together. But they weren't planned to be together. They sort of find each other. So what I hear you saying, it's almost like at some point in your process, you see where you are and they tell you where you need they need to go. And then you're like, okay, we'll go in this direction. Absolutely. And sometimes one piece can be the piece that makes the show and kind of sets the tone like, oh, I like what I did here. Okay, let's do more of this. Let's take the mood of that piece and let's transfer it to these other pieces. So it's like happy accidents are what drive my work. We've talked about the foreground, but how do you approach the background? I struggle with, sometimes I want to do pattern and all these fun things in the background. And sometimes it feels like there's too much going on. So sometimes I really will, I'll do like a striped or interesting background. Then I'll completely take all of that out, except for maybe leave like a little chunk and turn that into a big leaf or a big flower. I don't want to ever get crazily detailed in the background. And I'm satisfied with there being no background, maybe just maybe a color. What I love about hearing how you work is I imagine I am not the only one. When I look at your work, I think like, man, how did she do that? There's a lot going on. And what I love talking to you about is like, yes, there is a lot going on. And those are just layers and layers and layers and like deciding something and then taking it out or leaving part of it. And we are experiencing all of that from the end. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's just an accumulation of choices, some good, some mistakes that sort of turned into positives. Yeah. Well, then you talked about in our tech call that like maybe six weeks before a show opens, you sort of transition into the finishing touches. What are those finishing touches? Okay. So I'd say the beginning of a painting is probably the most fun, the easy part, just the abstract section. Then I've got the whole, the middle part that's laying in the composition, which is also a whole lot of fun, not a lot of pressure. The pressure comes in those last days or weeks that I'm going to spend on a piece where I've got to commit. I've got to make this work. I've got to be completely at peace with what I'm doing. And it's got to be good enough to like put it out there for the world to look at and buy or whatever. It's that last 15 or 10% that's really like where all the pressure is. But Sometimes that's honestly not as scary as it seems like it's going to be. I'll get to that part. I'm like, wait, okay, that's all it took. I just needed to kind of simplify a few things and take a few elements out. And now look, it's done. Like sign it. Phew. But I, I dread that part. So I, that's why I, I hold off and do almost all of that variant. Is that detail work? Is that where you decide like, this is the flower shape that goes here? Or this is the highlight, like that kind of structure and form? Mm-hmm. I want there to be some consistency throughout the painting, but I don't want it to be too cookie cutter. So it's just playing that balance of make it visually interesting, but also make it not frustrating to look at. Make it something that a person could live with in their home and see it every day and enjoy it, but also find little things that are, oh, I never noticed that little thing back there. What is that thing? And I guess that's what I've wanted more in my work. That's why I wanted to have more layers to keep it from just being, okay, that's a base with three red flowers in it. Great. I wanted to have more dimensions. When do you decide, or when does the painting decide maybe, like these flowers are going to have weight to them. Like these are going to be the ones that you look at and then everything else is going to be supporting. Mm -hmm. When do you know that or decide that? Sometimes I'll 
I can't figure out like, wait, why is this painting just, what's not working here? Why, why is this happening? It's like, oh, there's too many as the guy that's, we've got this guy that's been helping us do our yard. And I told him I wanted two of these Japanese maples. And he's like, you can't have too many dancing ladies. And I think that's a really good way to explain it. You don't want too many dancing ladies. You want to have like one really bold element. And then maybe if that's the problem, the painting for me, if I've got too much going on, okay, well, maybe these need to just sort of be pushed to the background. Maybe they need to be glazed over and sort of forgotten. And then maybe I'll just bring this cool part forward and this cool part forward. And that can be the solution. Your process uses a lot of paint. I don't just mean physically like a lot of paint, but like a lot of color. How do you keep your paintings harmonious from a color standpoint? I honestly have addiction to buying paint. I have probably 400 different paint tubes in there. I mean, it's crazy, but I don't, I don't really worry about that. My art probably isn't for everyone. Some people like very subtle color palettes. Some people like just a little bit of blue and a little bit of white and some gray. That's not for me. My art is just the more color, the better. But then what I often tell people that I think they may not realize is if you're going to have a lot of color in your painting, you have to have a lot of neutralization. You have to have a lot of gray. You have to wash over some bright areas with the complementary color to kind of calm it down a little bit. You can't have too much color or it gives you a headache. So you can have a few splashes of bold color. I mean, I love a lot of bold color, but I don't want it to be so much that it's fighting itself. And so I think that's where the glazes come in handy is you can kind of knock down the intensity of all that color and harmonize it, wash over it with olive green. And that gives a little continuity to the piece. And then keep some areas of color intact to give it something. How and where do you start bringing those neutrals in? Because it sounds like it's not the abstraction layer, but as you start building the painting, is there a place where you start to say like, okay, I need to start calming some of this down? Most of the time I'm building the entire painting at the same level. I listened to your podcast and I heard some other artists saying that they you know, kind of like work down. That is crazy. What an interesting concept that you could really like just work in one area and move and be done. Like, wow, what a revelation. That would be pretty satisfying. But no, mine is kind of all coming up. Everything's lifting off at the same time. And I'm working on the entire surface at once. So going back in, coming back out, adding this, taking out that. To answer your question, Throughout the piece, I know to include plenty of neutrals. And I love neutral colors. I mean, I love grays. I love tans and all these kind of muddy shades because I love what it does to bright color. It pops color even more when it's up against a really drab gray. Does that mean when you're blocking in those areas of color, let's say you have a red in the background, you might come over that with a green glaze? I don't so much plan like, okay, I'm going to take this red down with a green glaze necessarily, but it's more like side by side what I'm going to lay in. Like I'm going to put, if I'm going to have this bold orangey red flower, I'm going to be sure to put some greeny bluish gray with it to sort of soften the noise of that color. When you go to grab a tube of paint, are you generally thinking about value? Well, not value, but I am thinking of color combinations exclusively when I go to grab a color and then, you know, kind of doctor it up on the palette. Right. You said you add a lot of white to things. A lot of white. I buy white by the the Liquitex like 
big tub of it. And I'm pretty sure I go through like a tub a month. I just slap the white on <laughs> and it disappears in almost every color. I mean, you just have to use a ton of it. If someone came to you and said, I want to get really good at painting, what advice do you give them? You have to carve out time for painting. Nothing else is going to get you where you want to be. You can be extremely talented. And so many people have tremendous amounts of talent, but it's making that time. And it's unfortunate when you work, you have a full-time job or you're a full-time mom and you can't carve out that time. But I challenge people just like you would with finding time to exercise or finding time for any other hobby. You've got to make that commitment to, I'm going to give 30 minutes or an hour a day every day because that's where you're going to see the results is constant trial and error. I mean, that's all my work really is. It's just an accumulation of two decades of trial and error. And I mean, I, I think it'll continue. I hope to paint the rest of my life and hopefully it'll just keep learning and unlearning a few things. And But I'm so fortunate that I was able to early on get to devote so much of my time to my art. At some points, it didn't feel good because I had to make a career out of this. I had to commit 100% in my early 20s. And so I've never just worked a little bit. I've always worked really, really hard. I didn't even take maternity leave. I'm pretty sure I painted the day after I got back from the hospital with both my daughters because it's always like, I got to keep going. I got to keep going. But that honestly has been a gift, even though it felt like a curse that I didn't have time to fully give myself over to my babies. I I, I got so much out of that. And it probably was helpful to have that time alone to think and process. I always have noticed when I spend a lot of time with people, if I'm with my family or my friends, this is how I know. I love being with people, but I can tell that I'm an introvert because I can't process my thoughts until I get back into my studio. When I'm alone in my studio, it's like I can kind of understand everything and get a little perspective. So painting in general is such a nice way to help calm your brain and a retreat from the chaos of life. You can learn more about Erin Gregory at her website, www.efgart.com and on Instagram. And we'll link to everything in the show notes. Thank you so much for being with us today, Erin. Thank you so much for having me, Kelly. I really enjoyed this. Thank you for joining me this week on the podcast. If you want more great conversation with Gregory, join us in the podcast art club for the extended cut bonus. In it, you'll learn the importance of keeping protected space in your practice, and why it's so important to spend time looking at your work. To find a link to the podcast art club and show notes, head to learntopaintpodcast.com slash podcast slash episode 90. Thank you to everyone over in the podcast art club. You make this show possible. Extra shiny thank yous to High Gloss supporters, Andrew Atterbury, Debbie and Brian Miller, Rihanna DeRold, Janet Wheeler, Nancy Bryant, Pam Lyle, and Slow River Studio. Happy painting.